hey, how's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. So I know this is not my usual setup. I am in the parking lot at work and as you can see, my lighting is wonderful. Um, but I have been thinking about this a lot. This is probably one of the most autistic things I've done just at work at two o'clock in the morning. And I've been thinking about Trinitarian analogies a lot and how important they are to to an orthodox trinitarian theology vitally important and how damaging it is when trinitarian analogies are denied so oh there's actually two people watching i was quite surprised i didn't think anybody was going to watch third shift yes i am third shift so that's why i won't be going to bed until like seven o'clock so i'm just on my lunch right now um, at two o'clock in the morning man four people you guys really need to start going to bed at more appropriate times you shouldn't be up with me right now, but thank you. Thank you for stopping by. So I have uh, for you, I've kind of distilled all of my thoughts when it comes to the necessity of Trinitarian analogies into four categories. Um, so first is going to be there's biblical backing to the usage of Trinitarian analogies. Second is going to be there's speculative necessity. Third is going to be there's pedagogical necessity. And then fourth, there's going to be epistemological necessity, but I will break each one of those down for you. Then probably, then I might, since there's five of you here, surprisingly enough, I will take questions if you have any, but I only got till about three o'clock in the morning. So I only got about 40 minutes until um, I got to go back to work. So first is going to be the biblical backing behind this. So many actually uh, don't really know this. Um, I just go to bed listening to YouTube before sleep. Okay, good. I hope I have a soothing voice for you to go to bed. So first is going to be the biblical backing. Most aren't going to really recognize that in sacred scripture, actually, the language which is used about the Trinity are themselves analogies. So, and this is seen actually in the Nicene debates, interestingly enough. So when it comes to the relationship of father and son, father and son are actually themselves analogies. So when it comes to father it's referring to um the the position of one who generates another and then when it talks about son it's talking about one who is generated and it's talking about those uh subsisting relations but they are not alike in every respect to what we mean by father and son because when we talk about father we're talking about somebody who um, is temporally prior uh, we talk about sons, some somebody who is um, temporally after. There are certain um, created imperfections when it comes to fatherhood and sonship, when it comes to um, our, those created realities in which we speak of in the, that language of father and son. So actually, father and son themselves are analogies, which we need to um, negate those certain uh created imperfections in our language in order to arrive at the true reality of fatherhood and sonship in which those words speak of so because so if you're going to principally hold that trinitarian analogies are not allowed then you're really going to have to uh, cut off um, really uh, those biblical terms that are used for the first and second and really third also persons of the trinity because those are actually analogies so this is not really a well understood fact unfortunately and this is what got the arians in trouble actually 
And this is what gets some of the uh, eternal subordinationists into trouble because they do not recognize that the Aryans, at least, did not recognize that fatherhood and sonship are not supposed to be taken univocally. Because they took it univocally and said, well, when it comes to a son, a son is temporally um, posterior to their father. Therefore, um, you fall into you fall into the fact that the son is created and there's a time when the son was not. So that was the problem with the Arians. They denied Trinitarian analogies, not saying that people that uh, deny Trinitarian analogies are Arians, but if they were consistent, they would be Arians. That is what I'm saying. And it's, and it's quite a, I would say at least a, a not well thought through position denying Trinitarian analogies from that fact of the biblical basis and the biblical language itself being analogies. So second, uh, the speculative necessity. So this is going to really come through. I'm actually going to leave my chair back, my seat back a little bit. I'm in my car right now. Dang it. Car seat's in here. I can't lean back. It's unfortunate. So when it comes to the speculative necessity, uh, with really all of uh, Western Latin and uh, even later Eastern uh, scholastic, uh, taking John John of Damascus as a scholastic theologian, but scholastic speculation when it came to the Trinity, they it, it was all based on the what are called the psychological analogies for the Trinity. So based on the fact that the Son was uh, the Word and the Spirit was love, and um, notional and subsisting love is the Spirit, notional and subsisting um, intelligence was was the Son. So from these facts, really, all of the speculative um, advancements that were made in our understanding about the Trinity, so why there are only two processions, um, how the uh, how the Son and the Spirit differ, how um, with relative oppositions and subsisting uh, subsisting uh, relations and stuff like that, all of that really is actually based on the fact that the psychological analogies, uh, which were perfected by St. Augustine, um, were were used. So there's really a very strong um, logic behind blah, 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 philosophy, pick up a Bible. What, what, you, have, what you have to do, come on the other, Paul. I, I spent the first like five minutes talking about sacred scripture. So, so, so you got to watch the first five, five minutes. I'm telling you the other, Paul. So with with the uh, historical backing of the schools and then uh, also the backing of the fathers, there is a strong usage of analogies, especially the psychological analogies, which provide much of the meat behind the speculative uh, theology of the schools with the Trinity. So if you're going to cut that off and say, well, uh, because you have to make certain negations, which you do with all analogies, because you have to make certain negations, then we just can't use them. That is going to absolutely destroy your entire system of Trinitarian theology, and you aren't going to really be able to do much. So much of the advancement um, was made that way, and so much of the Father's writings, at least the uh, later uh, Latin writings of following De Trinitate by Augustine, where he formulated this very well, is going to be the using of psychological analogies. It's, it's just part of the tradition. You would have to deny basically the entire tradition if you're going to be consistent with this. My favorite analogy will always be um, the three robots, one AI scenario. I have, uh, I've never, never heard that one. 
So then the third one is going to be, this one actually makes me the most upset um, when it comes to the deniers of Trinitarian analogies, because they really do a lot of damage on this front, at least, is the pedagogical necessity, really, of Trinitarian analogies. Because when you are teaching laymen about the Trinity, um, it is very hard for a mind which is not uh, just absolutely pounded all the time with uh, with philosophical learning. Let's let's just put it that way. Pounded all the time with uh, speculative theology and uh, doing hardcore things like like that. It is very difficult to grasp what what is going on when it comes to the Trinity. For example, I I taught Trinitarian doctrine to middle schoolers and high schoolers with with basically uh they knew basically the apostles creed and the nicene creed it was they, they didn't have really uh much background and i had actually a great deal of success because of trinitarian analogies because when you talk about these different aspects of uh processions and then also also of unity in 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 these processions of explaining what a person is of explaining what a nature is and such using analogies which highlight um all of these different aspects of trinitarian theology is so key and it really helps people out in combining a lot of these analogies in order to highlight each one of these pieces along with the appropriate negations you need to make is is extremely helpful extremely helpful with that so um so yeah what when when people go out of their way to to deny the the rationality and the ability to make trinitarian analogies uh they just do a real disservice to the laity they do a real disservice in their um in in their duty to teach the faith to people that may have a hard time um grasping these certain philosophical truths and really they it, it's just extremely helpful Okay, and then yeah, what D. Wong said. Yes, I taught RCIA on the Trinity, and the psychological analogy made everything so much easier. Literally mixed doctrine appropriations plus divine missions, easy to get in light of perichoresis. Exactly, um, exactly. So uh, even even like really really silly stuff that people make fun of, like the old apple being the the it's like the skin and the. Um, the skin, the core, and the the flesh of the apple. Yet it's one apple. Technically, if you make the appropriate negations, that can be a perfectly um, apt analogy. And if you mix it with um, other easy to really easy to grasp analogies, that um, you have to make the opposite negations because really each each one of these analogies that you use. So maybe one time I'll do a whole stream uh, talking about this on a more practical level of which analogies are highlighting which uh, parts of Trinitarian uh, doctrine is what you have to use opposite analogies that highlight um, opposite truths uh, because some of them are going to highlight the unity at the expense of the trinity some are going to highlight the trinity at the expense of the unity some are going to highlight uh, things more or less correctly and being a good teacher and being able to use the right ones in the right ways is extremely helpful when it when it comes to have people grasp the the whole doctrine of the of the trinity to get, to know which uh which truths it's highlighting and which uh, negations you need to make and then when when somebody has grasped uh that and they know um 
where to stop, then you, you throw at them a different one, which highlights a different truth of it. And through getting it piece by piece by piece, they may be able to grasp it much more than they were ever, ever able to grasp. But I've seen amazing results with, uh, with when people ask me about the Trinity, just being able to use, use analogies with them and to talk about with them, okay, this is how you don't take the analogy, and this is how um, the analogy highlights a certain aspect of the truth when it comes to the Trinity. And I've just seen people grow in strides from knowing basically nothing and actually uh, having many implicit heresies, uh, implicit material heresies, when it comes to their idea of what the Trinity is, to being able to um, express it with some uh, fluid um, uh, fluency, not fluidity, some fluency. So when, when it comes to just a layman's practical life of contemplating the Trinity and um, just loving the Trinity, uh, you're doing them a huge disservice if you're going to completely, completely cut off this. So this is a great point. Most people don't recognize this. They will immediately say the three-leaf clover is partialism. That's only if you carry the analogy with respect to composition. Exactly. Exactly. Even even something like um, e even something like the uh, let's say let's see the analogy with uh, like water, steam, and uh, ice. Water, steam, and ice. What that is going to highlight uh, well is the fact that you have um, three um, subsistences with one substance. Now it's wrong because the three subsistences and one substance exists at different times. So you have to, you have to change the mode of subsistence. So that's, that's wrong and would fall into Sibelianism. Long as you clarify it, like, okay, there, there's one substance and three uh, subsistences of that one substance, but you have to be careful to recognize that it is, it is the one substance at the same at the same time with the three modes of subsistences and not changing modes of subsistence subsistences so like even stuff like that it can be very helpful and when you explain that to somebody they they're they're really able to grasp it a lot better than they were able to before so um, so you're doing a huge disservice to to people okay and then fourth my fourth uh reason uh behind actually using using analogies um, and actually before that I'll, I'll just rant a bit i think one of the most damaging uh videos out there uh, the one that people love and the one that people keep uh, sending around uncritically because i've read plenty of authors before uh, this has sort of became a trope who have entire sections of their dogmatic theologies where they're writing about the appropriate use of trinitarian analogies so this isn't anything crazy by me i'm not just particularly bright and I'm, I'm pulling this out. This is something I've read in, in plenty of authors. But the St. Patrick uh, Trinitarian Analogy video by Lutheran Satire, one of the most damaging um, and really damning uh, videos that I have ever seen um, when it comes to theology. It has done a huge amount of damage because I talked to plenty of people who are scared uh, when it comes to teaching other people and scared themselves of using Trinitarian analogies, it really kneecaps their ability to know and love and worship the triune God. And I pray that God may have mercy on Lutheran satire's soul for doing such a horrendous thing 
because it really was horrendous. And, um, and I don't really mince words about it, even though uh, people thought I was joking when I went on a huge rant. And uh, the guy that actually does Lutheran satire uh, responded to me when it, came to, when it came to this and said I was just being a dumb, rad, trad Catholic. I'm like, no, you, you are doing a serious amount of damage to people's souls. You are completely overthrowing uh, scripture. You're completely um, just overthrowing the entire tradition of typical Lutheran behavior, by the way overthrowing the entire tradition when it comes to the use of trinitarian analogies you need to stop you should take this video down and recant it because of how much damage it's doing to people like this isn't this isn't a joke i'm not just being an angry rat trad here it's just somebody who um, who has read the tradition uh, and i've read a lot about when it comes to the trinity and come to these realizations so uh uh, lastly, it's going to be an epistemological necessity. So, uh, as you know, uh, from Aquinas, uh, we can use language in three ways. The first would be univocally. Uh, for example, if I say, uh, I am white and this car in front of me is white. By white, I mean the same exact thing. No difference. So I'm using white, that term white univocally. And then second, terms can be used equivocally. For example, if I said this car is white and uh, uh, James's last name is white, um, I'm actually using white there equivocally. I'm using uh, white in two completely different ways that don't have any connection. And then the, the third way in which uh, language can be used is analogously, which is, uh, which is uh, think of it like an analogy. So um, there's a certain mode in which it is it is correct, and then in a different respect, it is incorrect. And there's some um, term which is which is shared between the two. For example, uh, health. I am. I could say I am healthy, and that this food is healthy. The food is healthy in a different way than I am healthy. I am actually healthy. The food is only called healthy because it gives me health. So healthy, there's some connection there, but there's also some difference, just like in an analogy. So when it comes to this epistemological necessity with God, uh, all language that we use about God is not univocal because that would be um, absolutely abhorrent when it comes to our language about God saying, um, for example, if we said that God hates in the same way as uh, a human hates, um, God obviously uh, does not take upon all of the created imperfections of human hatred, although we may truly say that uh, God's angry or God hates. But obviously we have to purify that uh, a bunch when it comes to all of the imperfections. And obviously we're not doing it equivocally, because if we're doing it equivocally, then we, uh, we have no knowledge of God. We're just using words with really no meaning or no connection to God. So it's necessary to use language, which is... Uh, which is mixed with uh, with certain things that are alike and certain things that are not alike. And then we the way in which we do theology is we take those uh, terms and names which are given to God, and we get rid of all the stuff which is unlike God, all of those imperfections, and then we elevate the perfections to a different modality, to the modality of Godhood. So why is this all important? Well, because it's really principally um, the same when it comes to uh, our knowledge of the Trinity. Our knowledge of the Trinity must come also analogously, interestingly enough. 
so there must we must use language which has some likeness to God and then also some uh, uh, dislikeness or dissimilitude. So if you're going to object to analogies, well, there's uh, dissimilitudes uh, with our analogies to God, then really you're going to have to object to all language about God because all language about God exists in a completely different modality. It exists in the modality of the divine life rather than the modality of uh, created uh, references, uh, which we have with our with our human language. So principally, uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, your entire system of theology would really collapse at that point if you're going to principally be um, just rage about uh, Trinitarian analogies. Uh, you can't hold this principally. Okay, so that's all I have. I'll give you guys like one minute because I think it takes a little bit to update. I'll give you guys like one minute to see if you have any questions. And then if not, I will go. Things being like died in my car. This is pretty terrible. It's weird. And I think it's like in the AC vent too. So if you, any of you guys know how to solve that, your explanation of how we predicate emotions analogously to God is one of the close, clearest I've heard. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it, it comes from the end of, um, what is it? Probably, uh, yeah, it's Summa Contra Gentiles, book one, um, about uh, chapter 90. Um, when St. Thomas talks about um, the ways in which we predicate passions to God. Very, very, very helpful. So it's not me. It's not the fact that I'm smart. I'm just uh, I just steal from St. Thomas. Yeah, I think it's like in the vents too. Uh, because before I turn on my car, everything just smells completely fine. And once I turn on the car and turn on the air conditioning, it, uh, it smells like death. So I don't know how to deal with that though. Because it's like, if it's in the vents, I can't like go in the vents and get whatever is in there out. So. Well, might as well just like sell my car or something. Okay, that is, looks like that's all I have right now. I don't see any, I do not see any other comments. So thank you for sticking around. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, turn on that bell notification to make sure you get all of my future live streams. Uh, if you really appreciate what I'm doing, patreon.com slash militantthomas. Become a patron. And yeah, that's all I can think about. Take it to a mechanic friend, probably. And then get an air fresher. That's a good idea. Uh, yeah, you know, that'd be pretty obvious for me to get an air freshener. Sometimes I, I wonder how I like even survive in this world. I couldn't even think of the fact that I should probably get an air freshener. Okay. Thank you. And I'm not going to do my extra or any, but what is it? An outro would be an outro. I can do my outro because it's kind of weird on my phone. Okay. I will see you guys, I guess tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to do tomorrow uh, stream or I guess later today. because I do have an, uh, a 10 AM class. So I won't be going to bed until like noon. So I don't know when, if ever I'll wake up. So, Goodbye.